Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help their fellow man, hoping we can make Yes, well, we do think we can make it better, and uh, not we. We can't do it, but uh, we do believe that the God we love and follow can make it a lot better um, through in and through us, and uh, we're learning that, especially right now from the story of Gideon in the Old Testament and uh, uh, how he was the weakest and the smallest and the least and... Uh, God reduced him to 300 people, and um, he did amazing things with that handful of people. Only because it uh, it doesn't matter how it doesn't matter us if we're if we're trusting on God's strength and His power, He can do anything. So that's where we are, and uh, we're excited to, to be here and and to be talking with our guest tonight. And um, first, Gunner Gunner is with us um, from the Northwest. Welcome, Gunner. But- that is correct. I am indeed from the Northwest, John. <laughs> that Somewhere is correct. There in the, you in are the correct, sir. Wet world. <laughs> it is and very, we, very we, wet today, that's for sure. Boy, is it really? We we need to ship some of that down here. That's what I hear. We're, we're dying. Yeah. yeah you, you guys are in bad shape with this. I mean, it's really serious serious uh, trouble here over the next year, isn't it? I mean, with the, the drought. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's that's what they're saying. not good. Yeah, they're getting, they're cutting into our uh, our uh, watering time, you know, and uh, um, you know, lawns are dying everywhere, and uh, it's just, yeah, it's a whole, there's something about it in the news just about every day. Really? There's no way you could not be conscious of it. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we are definitely uh, in uh, in uh, the nature uh, up here with the rain. It's uh, I just took a walk before we did the show tonight and uh, just went out to a quick park and walked around this lake and just beautiful and green and just getting myself excited for tonight's guest with Summit Adventure and uh, and yeah. some of the exciting yeah. things that they're up to and just getting out to nature and just having a good time. Yeah, I love the way you do that. You do that just about every day, don't you? Gunner? Yeah, you know, take absolutely. A walk out I, there. Yeah, it's kind of a, you know, I try to take a tech fast, you know, and and just try to unplug and just kind of, <laughs> you know, that perspective thing. You know, of course, I'm out there with my camera, so I'm doing a lot of that, but it feels good. You got to give yourself permission, I think, every day. I mean, we're really good at being human doings, right? And so I'm just yeah. trying to get a little better at being a human being and just, uh, and uh, connect, you know, connect with the Lord in, in that way. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I, I I love that. I love that. And, and you know what? I I'm probably two and a half blocks from the ocean, yeah. and uh, I can't even tell you what it looks like this morning, <laughs> the, the, today, tonight, because uh, I just hardly ever get down there, and that's awful. Yeah. 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 Well, we got to change. You know, now that you, now that you're ways. saying that, now that you're saying that here on on the on the show, John, you know that you're probably going to get like an email or a message say, John, mm-hmm. look, get down to the coast, get down to the beach, take a picture, post it, so we can see that you went down there, and uh, <laughs> do it do it for the team, man. So uh, we'll do be looking for, for a team. picture here in the next few days. <laughs> okay. All right. I promise. Well, yeah. this is going to be a good time tonight. Um, and we have one of our uh one of our catch member partners to thank for this uh uh because she is on the board of uh, summit adventure and um i've I've chatted with Janet on a number of occasions and and she said, "You really should get Tom Smith our c e o to come and be a guest on blog talk radio so uh that's what happened and uh we were so excited he was available, and this thing came together pretty quick. Um, 
So I want you to uh, would love to welcome Tom, and we're going to just chat about all sorts of ramifications about uh, being in nature, being in God's world, how what kind of ministry can can grow out of these kinds of experiences, and the challenges and of being pushed beyond our limits and comfort zones, and it's going to be good. It's going to be good. So please uh, welcome Tom Smith. Tom, are you with us? I am with you, and uh, thanks for the intro. And uh, I enjoyed the the commentary about getting out and um, and being a human <laughs> being um, versus a human doing. So uh, that, yeah. I think that's that's a good part of what Summit's about because we we do do a lot of things uh, in the yeah. programs that we offer. But maybe one thing that sets us apart from um, the, all the activities that we do in our normal life is we spend a large amount of time reflecting on the activities that we do. So whether that's uh, journaling or just taking time in prayer or um, stepping off on a, a solo, pretty significant amount of solo time or on certain courses, uh, a duo time with a father and a child. Um, those are uh, really rich times for people to just stop doing anything and, and start thinking and um, and just sitting. Yeah, yeah. Well, Tom, give us... Uh at the outset here, give us just a little bit uh, uh, so we can get our arms around what Summit Adventure is, maybe a, a touch of the history, uh, and uh, give, give us an idea of what, what it is, then we can get down into it a lot deeper. Okay. Yeah, it's, a, it's part of um, a, a bigger version of an outdoor adventure ministry, we may call that. And uh, so as such, it it follows um, a philosophy that says uh, if people get outdoors, that's sort of one of the criterias, um, into remote, sometimes wild areas, and uh, and they do it together, uh, but they're out of their comfort zone just by the fact that they're not sort of at home anymore uh, with a group of people that are also in a similar state, and they're engaging in a whole bunch of activities that go along with the environment that they're in. Uh, so, for example, we're out in the Sierra here, uh, just a little uh, ways north of you guys, and uh, so we spend a lot of time in the mountains. There's other programs around the country that would call themselves outdoor adventure, and they spend time on rivers or lakes or whatever. But we get the we get the privilege of being in uh, in the high Sierra in California, and so people do uh, rock climbing and rappelling. Uh, they climb mountains, which sometimes can be different than those two things. Uh, they backpack through thing through different areas. They navigate across country. Um, and uh, and then they sit by some of the creeks and rivers, which hopefully we'll have some of those this year, um, and 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 then sort of meditate and reflect on the travel that they've been doing. So that that has been um, going on since 1973, and that whole mm-hmm. sort of back to nature um, 60s granola movement started uh, with <laughs> Outward Bound and came over from Europe after World War II. So it's got sort of a long history of, of being involved in a, in a worldwide um, effort to get people out of their comfort zones, frankly, and um, and uh, expanding their limits. So its origins back in the 40s were uh, in World War II when the Germans were torpedoing a lot of uh, British boats. They were finding out that the, the guys that were living and making it through that, if they, you know, as long as they didn't die in the explosion, but they were in the water, it was the older guys that were living through those traumatic events. The younger guys were perishing. So they tried to figure mm-hmm. out how to, how to deal with that, and they found out that the older guys had a lot more experience, and they sort of knew that they were going to make it through. The young guys, uh, even though they might have been physically stronger, just didn't have that uh, length of time on the earth to, to go, I think I can make it through this, or I've been through other similar wow. situations or some sort of situations that were difficult, and I can do that. So um, certain people brought that over to the United States and uh, said, hey, for our culture, uh, getting people out of their comfort zones is a really good thing to do. And um, and particularly, it started in the 60s with, with uh, young people, so teenagers. Uh, and they found great success with that. And then they started expanding the different programs to adults and whatever. Summit was along the ride on that and started in 1973. Uh, so we've been around for, I guess it's 40-some years, um, doing that same thing with uh, getting people in the outdoors, pushing them out of their comfort zones, getting them to reflect on how that um Mm-hmm. Uh, reflects back onto their life, and uh, and then pushing them that way. The the distinction for Summit, because uh, there are a lot of programs that are secular in nature that do this sort of thing, the distinction for Summit is we're one of the f- fewer programs that are Christian-based. So um, our take on it is that getting pushed out of your comfort zone is one very important way that God can then speak to us because we are then needy. Um, we're not just sort of sitting around 
uh, in front of a screen or uh, eating dinner or whatever the deal is where we're pretty comfortable. So um, we think that God hmm. likes that. Uh, you know, we think we take a pretty good comfort in uh, Exodus where he seemed to do that for, I guess it was about 40 years. Mm-hmm. So he was he was pretty busy trying to shape the Israelites uh, into something a little bit different. And so we think that in the modern day, he's trying to do the same thing. Mm. Um, you know, that's an interesting uh, – and by the way, before we go any farther, I, um, in case we have uh, anybody listening in who would like to call in and talk to Tom or uh, myself, but I hope Tom, because I don't have a whole lot to say on this, um, except – Except I, maybe if we have enough time, I will talk about my backpacking experience in the High Sierras, um, which uh, which is just a, a cool thing that I haven't done in a long time. But um, uh, I have my favorite spot. I want to find out whether you know it. Um, but at any rate, you can anyone who wants can call in at uh, our number six four six seven one six five seven two one. And uh, you may even see that number on your screen if you if you got your computer out and you're online listening. Once again, it's six four six seven one six five seven two one. And uh, certainly welcome uh, any calls any callers who'd like to talk, especially talk with Tom. Um, okay, uh, Tom, I'm really curious right off the bat here how we make these. You know, you made the connection between experiences that push us uh, like those world war ii experiences and uh, how those expand us as human beings and how does that translate i mean does that really translate into business or faith or all these other areas of of our lives and uh, talk about that a little bit yeah i think that uh um all the different sectors in life so uh, have have come around to say that yeah we do need to we do need to get pushed and expanded so for example uh in the mid 80s there was a big movement um in psychological areas to say that uh fabrications of the kind I'm talking about and I'm saying fabrications because in a psychiatric hospital you you sort of have to fabricate you can't necessarily take somebody out for a 21 day wilderness course yeah all kinds yeah. of limitations but what they were finding out is that if you could simulate those same sorts of things, so in other words, if you put poles in the ground or you had a, a set of really high, um, stable trees on, on the um, grounds that the, the hospital was in, a psychiatric hospital, if you could get patients way up in the air safely, and it was relatively easy to do that part, then you could get them to do different things between trees and poles that put them out of their comfort zone and got them to to experience things that they may not have experienced in their life up to that point. So maybe the idea of trusting other people, uh, the idea of even trusting... Mm mechanisms or uh or or trees or any anything just trusting anything a lot of people come from places where trust has, has definitely been destroyed that was a that was a powerful learning uh set of opportunities for people meanwhile wow. uh, corporate corporate america sort of caught on to that and they said oh well, I wonder what would happen with the, if we could use some of these activities to build up teams. And, of course, uh, the notion of teams came over uh, from probably from the Japanese mm-hmm. and some other organizations and countries that were a little bit better at than uh, the individualistic United States. And so we started catching on going, hey, what if we worked in teams more? So uh, in the 90s, corporate America was really uh, uh, after all kinds of programs that would do the same sort of thing. Obviously, they had a little bit more freedom than in a psychiatric hospital to get out and away. And so Colorado Outward Bound, for example, was uh, was an organization that I worked for, and we would regularly do five-day courses with corporate groups. Hmm. And we've done the same thing at Summit Adventure as well, right? And uh, so so that's another sector. And You probably could look through the, all the sectors of the United States and go, at one time or another, um, those sectors got really interested in this idea of sort of outdoor adventure, experiential education, where it was more than just um, a really good speaker coming in and um, talking at us, which is, can certainly be motivating. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was much more uh, hands-on. And so uh, then they started doing some studies on that, and they found out that, uh, for example, a motivational speaker, uh, a good one, can uh, can sort of transform an environment for about a month, and then everyone's sort of back to normal. Um, an experiential ed- education program of the kind that we're talking about uh, at Summit Adventure can transform people for six months to a year just as a standalone with no follow-up. So all you got to do is add a little bit of follow-up to that thing, and then all of a sudden you've got people that are making some sweeping change, partly because... 
uh, as most of us know, probably takes about three weeks or so to make a change. And a good chunk of the early courses that we were doing at Summit were 21 to 24 days long. So plenty of time for people to change their perspectives and behaviors and beliefs and attitudes. Wow. Is any is any of your experience follow the kind of survival theme a little bit? You know, with all the the this uh, the TV shows type things we have. Uh, do you do any of that? Well, uh, I'm I'm a little bit hamstrung on that question because I I don't have I don't watch TV. I, I do hear uh, sometimes people will make uh, will make uh, comments that hey, do you have a I think his name is Bear somebody. Do I have a yeah, Bear, Bear Grillis knife or something? Yeah. And I don't have one of those. Um, so if if I get one thing out to folks tonight that uh, that hear this uh, this broadcast, it would be that we we aren't a survival program. There there are those okay. out there. Um, we aren't uh, a military sort of a uh, thing. We're not. Uh, we're not trying to create um, a, a boot camp sort of environment. Um, so as I talk about people being out of their comfort zone, uh, that that can easily, I think, lead not, people to think, "Oh, that that's not for me." You know, I, I just not, don't want to do that, that. You're not. You're not going that far out. Right. So, so if you had, so for example, uh, if you came on a, uh, a course with us, we would say, okay, we are going to give you a, uh, maybe in, in a certain type of a course, we're going to give you a backpack, uh, and we're going to give you some food, and we're going to give you a stove to cook on, uh, but we're not going to give you a, um, a crossbow for you to go out and shoot rabbits, so, uh, mm-hmm. or any sort of trapping mechanism you're just going to have the food that you carry with you so uh mm-hmm. it can be a little bit uh, humorous when people say oh this really isn't survival or some people mm-hmm. say well it sort of is survival because i like to stay in a hotel <laughs> just uh that may depend on your perspective just a little bit yeah yeah oh that's great um, tell me what are, what are the what are the people you end up working with the most i mean i i, I imagine it's just all across the board is that right i mean adults kids um yeah historically since 73 sports. we've worked with with ages uh probably the youngest would be 11 that i can think of in the last 12 years that i've been in this current position the youngest i've seen is 11 coming out in a we call them dad's courses so they come out with a a, a father um and then all the way up to the oldest has been uh, i think i was telling you yesterday that we had a couple in uh, on the holy land um trek which was uh, hiking along the jesus trail and they were 74 and 75 so all, all the way through the gamut. Uh, probably, though, we spend more time in the summer because we have some different programs. In the summer, we spend time, quite a bit of time with uh, fathers and their children, and typically the ages for the children are mm-hmm. 11 to about 20. And then in the fall and spring, because we have a semester program, obviously we're working with college kids, um, and so we, we do a, a fair amount with that. But But there is really no limitations other than, the ability to reflect uh, on an abstract level, which is what one of the things that we sort of need from people to be able to do. So, in other words, we don't really, we're not really interested in having someone come back and say, "Wow, I, I became a far better climber on rock climber on this course." I mean, if they do become a better climber, great, but that's not the focus. Our our focus would be, are you able to transfer anything that happened to you climbing rocks or belaying someone else that you can take back home with you? And so, uh, generally, okay. kids that are under 11 or so. They, they can't make that connection yet, so that's probably the re- and plus they're so small we can't get a can't get equipment around them. So we generally have uh, folks that are uh, be able to make abstractions and and sort of can you know make connections back home. So that's that 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 sounds like a very large element for for what you do is oh, making that- those. Yeah, without a doubt, except for a couple of courses. So we we get one permit a year to climb Mount Rainier, um, and so that is. Probably from some people's perspective, that's that's when the people that are doing that we generally call them guides, and and our objective is for the most part is to try to get people to the top. Um, but even there, we participants that are trying that that hey, you know, there's a good chance, probably maybe as much as a fifty percent chance you're not going to make it, and how are you going to be able to dis- deal with disappointment? But mm. uh, you know, just a few feet over, as we're hiking alongside uh, Rainier Mountain guides, they're probably not approaching it that way. So um, you know, it's just a different sort of approach but yeah i would say without a doubt we're always looking to um have people make connections back home so even even the idea that i didn't make it to the top i'm a type a personality i always win mm-hmm. and i just could not so for example last year i just could not overcome a howling blizzard 50 mile an hour horizontal winds and and just we just couldn't even see the way to the top we we had to turn around for safety's sake so mm-hmm. you know so we came back down and we 
reflected and processed through that. And some of the overachievers that we had on the course were, you know, they were struggling with. We had one guy who was a Navy SEAL, and thankfully he was one of the guys that wanted to come down. We thought, wow, if a SEAL wants to come down, we should definitely turn around. <laughs> so, so he was, he was, he turned out he was fine about it. Wow, wow. Now, as the CEO of this organization, do you do you still get to go out often, or uh, is that just a luxury now? No, I I um I I was uh definitely interested in coming on in this current position that I'm in um as long as I could be out in the field uh a fair amount cuz that was sort of my background and and what I was uh, had been trained for and what I was super passionate about and uh, mm-hmm. so yeah they let me they let the old man go out a fair amount so um cool. yeah, I, get out, I get out a lot and I and I like that in fact some people have called it the perfect job for me so so you know I think it maybe is Wow! Wow! Now you do um, you do internationally, uh, and uh, you've mentioned uh, I've seen on your website, and then you mentioned before us about Ecuador and and uh, um, I believe Mexico and Israel. Talk about that a little bit, and uh, how did that come about, and and why do you do that? What's what's the value of of going down to Ecuador uh, yeah, versus the Sierras? Yep, historically uh we we were uh from 73 to 2005 uh for the most part summit was was locked into being in the Sierra and then with occasional uh courses down in Joshua Tree and maybe here or there pocketed around California or maybe somewhere else uh domestically but for the most part it was in the Sierra. Mm-hmm. And then I came on and I was uh it was sort of a uh interesting set of circumstances but I was I had been interested uh in climbing internationally uh bigger mountains cuz you have to go outside the United States to get above and beyond uh you know 14,000 feet and so I was I was interested in that and uh but I was also very interested in the kind of approach that uh, Edmund Hillary used after he summited Mount Everest in 1953 and so his legacy really uh in the climbing community is that he was the first um white person to summit Mount Everest. The legacy he he has long championed is that he has built many many hospitals and he has done just incredible uh, social service work in a bunch of uh, uh, places where that that are super needy of that that sort of help. And that's where he is as spoken most uh, importantly about the role that he's had in in mountaineering. So that that was always very appealing to me. I, I didn't like the idea that I was going to go uh, that if I was going to try to explore other countries, I was going to go in as sort of mighty whitey and uh, and climb big mountains and use resources and then leave. Um, I, I was much more compelled by the idea that I was going to, you know, do the Martin Luther King Jr. thing that services the rent we pay for living. And so I sort of expanded that to, well, service might be the, the rent I pay for climbing internationally. So so we uh, we did some of that uh, exploratory work and found out that um, the idea of doing service as part of a summit adventure course uh, was really instrumental for folks. Uh, there was a lot of uh, Christians that were uh, expressing interest in uh, doing some recreational things like climbing mountains, which uh, or I don't know, some people wouldn't exactly call climbing a 20,000-foot mountain recreational, but there's some wackos that would call it that. Um, but they also really were interested in the idea that in a 10-day experience down in Ecuador, for example, they would be, they would be involved in uh, service. Uh, so that that's how it got started. It was uh, it seemed to be uh, pretty popular, you know. At, at, I think I told you earlier we were different. Uh, we were doing as many as five to seven courses in a in a winter time. So uh, people liked. Uh, I, I'm not exactly sure how you can explain why people like the combination of high adventure and and out and out service, but they they do. I think there's that same that same idea that climbing a mountain is pretty mm-hmm. uh, self focused. Uh, particularly if you think your your life is on the line, which you know at at about sixteen thousand feet, you start wondering if you're going to make it or not. So mm-hmm. you get you get very internalized and uh, and very sort of self focused. But then uh, the day after that, um, you, all of a sudden you're working at a child development center and you're uh, teaching English in a classroom of a bunch of kids that you know have um, quite a bit less than you have, and and you're hoping that. Uh, you know, you can help them, and and you're going to be able to learn something from them as well. So, it um, it goes uh, sort of an uh, self-focused to other-focused pretty quickly, and goes sort of back and forth for the whole time people are in Ecuador. Same thing for um, the other sites we were at. the uh, The service that we did in Israel 
Yeah, the Holy Land was primarily focused in the West Bank um, uh, with Palestinian Christians, and uh, and that has been, as you might imagine, has been both controversial and uh, ridiculously rewarding on our end. So, um, you know, we we definitely try to try to do things service-wise that are important and that matter and that are are sort of at the core of uh, inter interacting with people that are the same as us and yeah. different. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that. I, I'm real interested in knowing um, what do you do uh, there with the Palestinian people, and and and, and how do they, what, you know, more specifically, what types of service things, and then what's the, uh, you know, what what types of um, uh, climbing or natural experiences are they getting as well. Yeah, we would have uh, we we had it at some, somewhere between a ten and fourteen day courses, depending on what groups are going out. So we had a couple of college groups, and then we had some some uh, some groups of people that were uh, uh, middle age and uh, and, uh-huh. and beyond that. So depending on length of the course, we were basically spending a little bit some time in Jerusalem, looking at all the different things that there are to look at in Jerusalem. Which of course that'd take you twenty years to figure that out. But we were there for you know sort of a snapshot of a couple of days. Then we spent some time up in Nazareth, and then the, the outdoor side of things, the adventure side of things, which was um, which we wanted to be a bit toned down from maybe something like Ecuador, which is uh, partly climbing bigger mountains, was mm-hmm. the Hike the Jesus Trail, which is a 65-kilometer trail that goes from Nazareth to the Sea of Galilee. And it's, for the mm-hmm. most part, some historians and uh, people that have been involved in putting that trail together said this is most likely the, the route that Jesus would have walked, and of course he walked everywhere, uh, to go from where he grew up mm-hmm. to where he um, began his ministry. So um, so that is a pretty spectacular trail in and of itself. So there's plenty of times wow. where um, you can actually be standing. I find this so powerful, it brings me to tears even the, the third time I did it, standing on a rock that you know for a fact Jesus stood on. Uh, that mm. there's things about mm. that that are that are just so powerful uh, for for folks that do that. So, for example, in Nazareth, the Mennonites have recreated um, uh, a village that is at, supposedly at the time of Christ. And so, volunteers from all over the world come in and they they mm. portray being shepherds. And there there's a couple guys that are doing carpenter things using tools from back in that time frame. And that's all mm-hmm. uh, interesting to me. But it wasn't until we actually went to the wine press that's carved out of the rock, and you can it doesn't you don't have to be a scholar to look at it and go, that's a wine press. I mean, you can see the the rut where the wine would, you know, the grapes were crushed in this squarish thing all cut out of the rock, and there's a little uh, runnel that goes down, and it drops down into another place, and that's where the wine goes. And uh, so I asked a, um, a graduate scholar of Old Testament history, I said, uh, was was Jesus was this was he here? And he said, Absolutely. In Jesus' time Nazareth was only two to three hundred people and that would only suffice for one wine press. This is the one. And uh <laughs> I just started crying. I was like, My gosh, wow. Jesus was a, a boy here hanging out with his friends, crushing grapes, right here. I'm standing right here wow. where he's doing it. So those are those are powerful experiences for people. And then, and they're doing that all through the whole trail. And of course, you get to the Sea of Galilee, and you, you get into the water, and you cry there, and you spend most of your time just crying. I mean, that's, at least that's what I did. Um, but before that, you you can also spend a significant amount of time crying about the situation that is so complicated and so difficult mm-hmm. to to really comprehend. And that's the whole um, Israeli-Palestinian, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, just for lack of a better word, issue. <laughs> a little bit yeah. of an understatement to call it an issue, but um, we what we wanted was to uh, to experience um, what Palestinian Christians were like. Uh, partly because the guy that we went um, over to visit and to see and to help to set up this course uh, said that one of the most powerful things for him in the five years he lived over in the Holy Land is to really understand that there are. Palestinians, quite a few Palestinians. In fact, uh, you'd have to say after you spend a little bit of time there, the vast majority of Palestinians who think that lobbing bombs into innocent people is horrific. And uh, mm-hmm. not only do they think that, but they think that Jesus Christ is is the way that they're going to get into heaven. So they're sort of um, pretty similar to us. And they're stuck in a situation that when you're standing next to a 30-foot-high concrete wall uh, that they can't get out of, and if they do, they'll be shot on sight, it starts getting a little, um, you know, I don't know, it just depends on how people come into the whole situation. And um, uh, it's it's very complicated, and so we wanted people to at least stay 
overnight with uh, with a family of Palestinian Christians, and that's Great. that was one of the things. And so, we we've found over the years that that can even be service. Just even hanging out with somebody is service because we don't think that service is necessarily doing something for someone else. We think that service is um, sort of the relationship you build with someone else. Um, so again, I've used that expression "mighty whitey," which I don't know where I got that from uh, um, years ago, but I use it a lot because I don't want to be mighty whitey. I want to realize that if I'm going to hang out with some Palestinian Christians in their house, I'm going to learn probably a lot more from them than they're going to learn from me. So we, so that's one phase of it. Then the second day we were there, we went to a, a Palestinian uh, farm, and that if that didn't send um, strong messages of some of the, uh, the gospel um, uh, stories that Jesus told, I don't know what did, because a Palestinian um, farm is not allowed to have regular flowing water. So the wheat, for example, we got we were told, hey, why don't you guys go out and pluck some wheat? We And we had just come uh, from the Jesus Trail where wheat that grows in Israel is about the same as wheat that grows in Nebraska. You know, I don't know, it's chest mm-hmm. high or something, and you pluck the little grains because you think you want to feel like you're David walking along with his mighty men and you're yeah. eating in the field. So you go from that, and then you go from wheat that on a Palestinian farm that we were on, the, that was probably about eight-inch high wheat, and there was probably mm-hmm. about two grains per stalk. And intermixed with that were all sorts of thorns, which as I was picking that wheat, I probably pulled thorns out of my fingers for at least the next five days. And so it was, it was this classic uh, parable that Jesus told about the, the wheat being mm-hmm. put together with the chaff. And I was like, wow, this this is about as strong as that gets because this is hurting to pull this stuff out. And it's hurting to see the lack of volume of wheat that came from this land because, of course, there's no water to irrigate it, and there's no way for them to do that. So... Mm-hmm. So that was that was part of the service, right? Just bending over, pulling wheat in, in very hot sun, and, uh, and while we're doing that sort of classic summit style, reflecting on uh, biblical parables, uh, injustice mm-hmm. in the world, how how does things get this complicated between human beings? I mean, it's just staggering. You know, I, I left I left that farm, and uh, I was overwhelmed for months after I got back. I probably still am. I probably I probably still can't exactly sort it out. Wow. So you must there must be a lot of time uh built into these trips to process this stuff, right? To talk about it and discuss it. Do we do that in the evenings? How does that work? Well, we a lot of research over the years has shown that the best way for people to make connections from whatever activity they just did to back home is to do it right as close to the time you just did the activity as possible and in the mm-hmm. closest geographic area as well. So for example, um, it would be great if uh, we rock climbed in the morning, and let's say John, you were rock climbing, and you had a really powerful experience. It would be it would be pretty okay if we talked about it later that evening at eight o'clock at night. It would mm-hmm. be far more powerful if we talked about it right there. And um, as sometimes is the case, you know, people skin their knees, or you know, they just it was a little uncomfortable, or their hands hurt, or or they were scared witless, or whatever the whatever the scenario was. Mm-hmm. You can ask them questions about that while pointing out the rock that they were on. And uh, mm-hmm. so we we have uh, a bunch of different ways that we get people to reflect. One of the one of the more popular ones, of course, is to sit the group down in a circle and just start asking them a bunch of questions. Uh, so that's we call that facilitated discussion, which means that uh, myself or another instructor or a combination thereof would just start asking questions to try to probe into what people are mm-hmm. thinking and feeling. And you know, sometimes those get very emotional and uh and sometimes they just get very cognitive like wow i really need to do something different back home wow um then then we also have people go because we have introverts and extroverts and of course the extroverts love the sitting around a circle and talking and the introverts are like oh gosh can i do something else and so we let them we let them talk in the circle because you know they that, that's good for them uh and then we challenge the extroverts to just go journal and you know a lot of extroverts are thinking journaling is i don't know sort of like making grocery lists but we try to encourage them to do something a little mm-hmm. bit different than that so so yeah we try to and then we are hiking along a trail and i'll, I'll pull up alongside somebody and start asking them about how the day is going and try to just start getting more probing about how the whole experience is and hey can you does this thing have any relevance back home so in in one form or another they're getting that question of how is this related to your life back home wow so it sounds like you just uh well it sounds kind of like the way jesus did it uh uh, we talk as we go as right is that is that right as much as you can 
you try to yeah, do that? Yeah, I think you know, I don't. I mean, I read the the parables, and I'm like, oh gosh, I I, I don't have the sort of insight that Jesus had. Uh, of course, uh, none of us do, but but I but I can follow the idea that uh, he certainly preached uh, plenty, and it was very powerful. But I, it seems to me he also uh, just asked a lot of questions, and so right. my job right. is a lot less preaching uh, and talking, and a lot more asking questions. In fact, when I when I uh, think about the the work that I'm doing as a facilitator, and when I try to teach some other people what might be some things to to learn on that front, I just say uh, if I'm if I'm talking any more than probably ten or fifteen percent of the time, I'm probably talking too much. So ten or fifteen percent of the time gets me just enough verbiage to ask questions. Then from there, everyone starts answering, and that's and that's what I want. I want them to be talking and thinking, not not me telling them what they should be learning. Yeah, that's great. That's it. Is that the uh, that's the uh, Socratic method, right? Is that what we call that? I think. Yeah, it's a, I think it's so. Jesus I mean, method. it's the Jesus method for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have yeah. a friend of mine who's who is a philosophy professor, and he's he's uh, sort of watched me in action, and he's never really called me Socrates-like. He he has actually some <laughs> other adjectives that um, you know maybe are not quite that uh, quite that positive. <laughs> oh yeah, I I've always been. I, I am so fascinated with that that way of learning, and I, and and it blows me away to see how often Jesus. I actually I wrote a book once um, that was titled um, "True Believers Don't Ask Why," and the "don't" was crossed out. Oh, okay. You know the whole idea being, yeah, we do, and we better. You know, we yeah. need to, and. And and in the process, I, I delved into a lot of this stuff about Jesus asking questions. And I had a whole chapter, Tom, in that book on every time that Jesus answered a question with another question. Yeah. I went through the Gospels, and I pulled them all out, and I filled up a whole chapter with them. Wow. It was just amazing. Yeah. And it was almost like, okay, you want to ask me questions? Let me ask you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's so, I I find that um a lot of times people are in uh Christendom are so used to being mm-hmm. talked at that it's almost yeah. like when I'm with my kids and I and I say here's the boundaries I'm going to set for you and then I I should know if I'm a wise parent that they're going to push those boundaries almost automatically. And yeah. so it's the same sort of thing if I say, you know, I'm going to ask you questions on this course and you know, I want you to really reflect on it. I can guarantee that they'll just wait for me to tell them things because they're they're used mm. to that. Right, they're they're used to that sort of um, didactic uh, approach, and and we try to break that down, and uh, and and I think that's maybe one of the more power, powerful positive things that I enjoy about Summit is that I'm not out there uh, preaching a lot. Uh, I certainly you know mm-hmm. can talk to folks and uh, share my opinions about things or whatever, but but for the most part, I really do try to follow that that 10% thing particularly around discussions and and when I'm trying mm-hmm. to get people to focus on what's happening. So they might they might want me to tell them, hey, what what they're learning, but after they don't get it, um, you know, I don't know how Jesus did that whole thing, but um, social scientists have said, if you got to wait 10 seconds uh, for an answer, it gets really uncomfortable, right? Or you got to wait 10 seconds for your computer right. to become different. And so I, I try to coach my instructors and facilitators and myself as well that, okay, if I just ask a really good question, it's going to take a lot longer than 10 seconds for them to process. So I should just be mm-hmm. quiet. Because if I start, if I ask a good question, let's say, and then I start talking right mm-hmm. into it, sort of nerve-wracking to have everyone not say anything, well, they'll just wait for me the next time I ask a question to just start to talk. And then pretty much that's, that's what we've so been going. So, so it takes a little bit of um, practice and discipline to just be willing to have that uncomfortable silence. But then people start going, well, I guess, when, I guess he's not going to say anything. I guess I should. Yeah. And then yeah. we're off and running. So. Well, but that's what you're doing. You're pushing people outside of their comfort zone. So we do that in so many different ways, it sounds like. Even in, well, I think that's I think that's the thing that I hope people can get if they if they start to examine um, some adventure or outdoor adventure um, programs similar to ours, and and that is that uh, it it can be easy for people to look and go, oh, I don't really want to go rappelling off a cliff, or I don't want to climb mountains, or I don't want to hike, or and and that might all be um, fine. But the reality is, there's a lot of people out there that that don't have any problem with the physical part of the courses to get, you know, cl- rappelling down a hundred foot cliff doesn't really bother them. Particularly young people. They, they love doing that stuff. Um, uh, but if you ask them to share emotionally about the state of their, uh, relationship with their father or mother, well, you might as well have asked somebody else who's petrified of going over a cliff to go over a cliff. You know, it's just mm-hmm. so emotionally that is, that's their edge. 
Um, mm-hmm. And then you ask somebody, hey, where are you at spiritually with the Lord? Well, some people, to say, to share that publicly, I mean, for my father, for example, he, he just would have never done that. He would have looked at me like I was an idiot, like like nobody does that. Mm-hmm. So that would have been his edge. Um, so we we try to uh, say to ourselves as we as we plan programs and as we look at each day, okay, how how is it that we can put people out of their comfort zones in in the ways that are important to them? And uh, and we know that uh, you know the obvious things about the extreme physical things or the way people view things that they might be extreme. Uh, really, it, it turns out that for the most part, most of the things that we do are doable by probably most most folks. And that may surprise people, right? So, you know, you think mm-hmm. to yourself, could I really climb a 19,000-foot mountain? Uh, well, the reality is you. Uh, by the time we got you there, you probably could, you know, if you mm-hmm. want to. Is it going to be easy? No, it's probably not going to be easy at all. Um, uh, and you may find yourself uh, very uncomfortable, but at the end, by the time you go up and come down, the value that you pushed yourself to do something like that would be huge. Um, mm-hmm. But equally well, uh, I think I was telling you yesterday, for some fathers on these fatherhood courses that I was mentioning earlier, it is unbelievable the number of fathers who cannot sustain a conversation in mm-hmm. private with their child for any longer than 15 minutes. So wow. it's it's not uncommon. We give them a duo time, it's called, on a five-day course. We give them generally after dinner one night, and they go move their sleeping bags separate from the rest of the group, and so they're still within earshot and safe. But they, we give them questions if they want to ask each other questions, but the purpose is to be alone with your child. And it is not uncommon at all, and then they're supposed to do that until breakfast. So it's not uncommon at all to have a guy come back in 15, 20 minutes and say, we answered all the questions. Now, these are not questions like, hey, what color is your shirt? You know, these are mm-hmm. questions that if you actually delved into them, take you the whole night to answer. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's mm-hmm. obviously the edge for the dad and we've had, and, and for the kids too sometimes. Like I, I think I was telling you yesterday, the, the 17-year-old girl last summer that said, uh, we went on a duo, my father and I, and I can tell you right now, we've never had more than a one-sentence conversation in the 17 years I've been on the earth. Mm-hmm. And so they, they spent eight, ten hours together talking and it was. It, I think it was a breakthrough moment. You could tell just by the way they related to each other the following day that they something very powerful had happened to them. That that they discovered something about one another that they they it, it didn't. It maybe because they had rock climbed mm-hmm. and repelled that helped them break down some barriers. But clearly they just went out, sat together, and just talked all night long. Wow, wow. that's fantastic. So it sounds like then you do have programs designed for. For different different people, and uh, um, explain what how that breaks down. I mean, it sounds like you, uh, you. I heard you use the term duo. I'm assuming that's a the father and a daughter or a son. Is that right? Correct. And then w- what are some of the other groupings? And then uh, tell us too. Then it, it's just Joe Blow. I, I, I want to come to your website and I want to have an experience. Can I find Can I find uh, trips? For me, yes, we have um, generally all of our courses are break down into one of two kinds. Uh, we call the one where you're Joe Blow uh, looking at our website. We call those mm-hmm. courses that you might be interested in open enrollment courses, which means that you you mm-hmm. come in. Um, Frank from Ohio comes in. Um, Billy Bob comes in from Georgia, and, uh, and okay. several women come in from New Jersey, and they all get together and they all say we're gonna we're gonna be out for the time limit that says on the website, which is seven days, and we're gonna we're gonna be sort of focused on uh, adult renewal because we're all about I don't know mid thirties or something like that. We want to figure out what we want to do next, so we're gonna backpack and hike and rock climb and rappel, and we're gonna spend some time doing solo. Maybe we'll we'll do a day of that because we really want just want to sit before the Lord and just be quiet after we've done all these different mm-hmm. things. So we we talk to all the different individuals on that and say, hey, what do you want to emphasize? And they tell us, and then we we take them out for seven days. So that's sort of what they signed up for. Um, Other groups are, like, for example, Focus on the Family. They've been coming out with us for 35 years, and they come out for four days. And um, they bring different uh, dads and their their kids, one kid per dad. And um, Mm -hmm. and it's exactly the same structure every year, four days. This is what happens at this time and this time and this time because there's somewhere between 20 to 40 pairs that come out for the four days, super structured. And it's, it's, mm-hmm. um, we work with focus closely to say, Hey, what did you think about this component, this duo thing? And they were the ones that said, we like duo when it goes overnight best. Cause sometimes it would work out that duo would just go from breakfast to lunch. 
And so, so we work with them, and, and so now duos on folks on the family courses almost uh, entirely mm-hmm. go overnight. Then they mm-hmm. liked other components better, and so we incorporated that. So, so they're um, we call those uh, custom courses, and um, and those are also contract courses. So, uh, Joe Blow can't sign up to get on the Focus on the Family course. So we would we would steer him to something different. So, um, uh, likewise, uh, one year we went to the Holy Land, and one group was from Malone University, and so theirs was a 14-day course. That was a contract course because only Malone students could go. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, um, right before then, we did a 10-day course with uh, the Middle Ages I was telling you about, and so that course had some different components to it. I mean, it had some similarities, but it had some differences. That's fascinating. That's great. Wow. So it's lots, all kinds of opportunities. I, uh, so that somebody listening could actually just go to, uh, is it summitadventure.com? Is that correct? Correct. Summitadventure.com. Summitadventure.com. And we have, and on the website, yeah, and we have, uh, so for example, those are sort of general areas too, but we also have, uh, last year we had a single mom and two, two or three of her kids uh and she she came out she said hey i just want to do a course with my family which were her kids and so she came out and she sort of helped design the course on what it was like and uh, she actually wrote on our website a blog about how powerful the experience was and how it turned around um some different differences the different dynamics in her family um we got a woman this year she's got one child and she said hey can i just come out with him and uh and we said yeah let's let's make that happen so we take um a lot of uh, interest in designing courses for all different folks. And so somebody could easily say, hey, I want to go down to Ecuador, but I really don't want to climb uh, a 19,000-foot mountain. And one of those people is named Janet, and she might be listening to this right now, and that's the woman you referred to that's on the board. She uh, loved being down in Ecuador, and she's a, a very big birding fan, and so there's there's other interests for her that Ecuador, with, which has – probably the most diverse birding population in the world. I'm guessing anyway. I'm not as much of a birder as she is, but she didn't she could have cared less about getting to the top of a nineteen thousand foot mountain. Mm-hmm. But what she really cared about was seeing a lot of birds. And so even within the context of the course that she was on, she didn't climb that. She didn't attempt that mountain. Her husband did okay. and uh, and went to the mm-hmm. top and came back down and uh, and that was awesome. But she stayed in the hut and uh, and had no problem with that. So she's a uh, she was having her own solo time while that was going on and meanwhile had just, I think, a very powerful experience being with the group and the, the different times that she could see different birds and be involved with that was, was highlights for her. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, now I'm going to ask you a, a question that's going to be impossible to, to answer fully, but maybe just give us a couple glimpses, maybe a story or two of the real the real value of Summit Adventure. Uh, I, you, we've touched on these a couple things along the way. But uh, give us just kind of a a little bit of a feeling for for what the real value of these experiences is in our lives. Yeah, um, I can, a couple um, experiences uh, that we had on a, on a dad's course. I remember um, a 16-year-old boy and his father were doing very poorly together. It, it was completely obvious the the kid was shunning the dad in every way. Um, the dad had a, a slight physical. Uh, disability because he couldn't hike that well. He wasn't it wasn't mm. over the top, but he couldn't hike that well. And so, in one activity, he had to hike to the top of a, a, a rappel site and rappel off a very scary 150 foot rappel, which his son was ecstatic to do. So the the whole group, which com- was comprised at that point of four other dads and their children and this other guy, uh, Joe, we'll call him, and his son. Um, everyone went off the rappel, and, and on these dads' courses, we have them rappel with father and child together. So that's very powerful, right? They're going right mm. down together right next to their kid or whatever, and a lot of times the kids are going, hey, Dad, can you stop being so scared and just go over the edge with me? So, But the boy, the dad tried to get off the edge, and the, the hike up was so difficult for him, and the, the scariness of going off the rappel, he tried to – he was actually attached to the rope, and he was backing over the edge – and he got over to the edge, and he just couldn't do it. And, of course, his mm-hmm. son is rolling his eyes, and, you know, he's doing a bunch of negative behaviors. And so Joe said, I just can't do it, and he was weeping. And so the son oh. went over the edge. And uh, so we said, hey, I said, Joe, would you 
would you try a rappel if it was a little bit easier, maybe on the backside? He goes, I, I, I need to try something. I mean, I need to do something to prove something to my child. And uh, so we rigged up a different rappel that had never been rigged up before. It was on, actually on the backside of this very steep rappel. It was a lot less steep, but it was still a rappel. And it was also mm-hmm. the, the staging area where the group had walked around from the bottom of the rappel to, to sort of get ready and grab their gear and head down and go to the next component. Well, we rigged up this thing, and, and Joe started rappelling down this thing, and it was a, a bit less scary, and he was overcoming his fear. And halfway down, he was he was being encouraged, and the guys down there, including his son, were cheering at him wildly. And he mm. rappelled all the way down, and his son gave him a hug at the bottom of the climb. Mm. So at the bottom of the rappel. Mm. I wept at the top to see that thing. It was such a powerful moment. And uh, mm. so Joe overcame his fears. Um, mm-hmm. the, the boy said, look what my father is doing. He's doing something extraordinary, and, and mm. their relationship was different for the rest of the course. Um, wow. So that was that was a, a moment that, that sort of personifies Summit. Um, and on a similar note, on a different dad's course, uh, and they're not just dad's moments, but they're, I sort of think about those maybe because I'm a father, but uh, but you mm-hmm. can have those on the semester program or in the international program. But the, the other one that comes to mind is maybe a little bit similar, but uh, a father and his daughter were always clowning around. They, that Their whole relationship was based on joking. And uh, mm-hmm. and I never heard them say anything serious to each other. And so on the last day, the, the girl wrote, um, they were supposed to write letters to each other. And... Uh, all the people in this group. And um, so the girl wrote, you're the best father that, that you could be for me. And he, and so she read that to him out loud in front of the rest of the dads and their kids. And he made a joke about it. And I, and then they were going to move on and the next girl was going to read her letter. And I said, hold on a second. Hey, um, so to the father, I said, did that mean anything to you? And, uh, and he goes, yeah, it did. And I said, hey, for dads, all you dads, right, I'm a dad also. So I said, did you guys, could you guys raise your hand if you had a dad that you thought was the best dad for you? And the Holy Spirit had to have been moving because all the dads looked down and none of them could raise their hand that they had a dad that was the best for them. And so they, they all started crying. And I said, so do you want to say anything else to her besides just joking around with her? And so he went over and hugged her and, um, and he told me later, wow. he goes, Tom, the Holy Spirit, without a doubt, was moving in that moment. And so, you know, we try to provide situations where the Holy Spirit mm. can work, and clearly the Holy Spirit's the one doing the work, not us. So, you know, our, our job is to just um, put people in situations where they can be like that, where they can be in need or they can be somewhere out of their comfort zone. And clearly the out of the comfort zone for that guy was me saying, basically saying, are you going to joke about everything or are you going to take something serious? And so the way the way that I, I thought might be a good way to do that is just ask him about his own father, which for a lot of us, you know, our fathers mm-hmm. were maybe mm-hmm. less than they could have been. So. Wow. What a – you know, just hearing you talk, um, what I'm realizing is that probably – at some point on some of these experiences, almost every every uh, key issue could be touched upon in a person's life. I mean, is that is that not true? That That's something. A, I mean, I think that door? is with my job, and as I try to train new instructors that come in and, and work with the staff, and, and my own life, of having done this for 35 years, I, I think. I think my job and our job is to is to in fact do that to not just hit on the physical, and maybe that isn't even a mm-hmm. big deal for people like I said, but to try to every day and and every moment to just do something that's going to push them a little bit to go, wow, I am clearly not comfortable right now, and uh, and I think about it in my own life. I, I have to put myself in situations, uh, hopefully more than more than I don't do it, mm-hmm. where I'm uncomfortable. And uh, and I try to get other people to do that as well because I it, it would be weird if I was pushing people out of their comfort zone and, and I wasn't doing that. So I think that God uh, speaks to us when we're out of our comfort zone. Uh, maybe some people would argue that He speaks to us when we're in our comfort zone, but um, I, I think for me personally uh, that that might mm. be true. But He speaks to me a lot louder when I have some serious needs, whether they're physical or emotional or spiritual or intellectual or whatever. So that's what we try to do, and um, you know for. Wow. We I, I had a guy come in that was uh, an intern in 1988. He's now a professional singer in Nashville, and he told me that on one the 
the guy I was telling you, Joe, that had to go off the back side of this rappel because he couldn't go off the front side, he told me that he actually accepted Christ on that rappel. What was that, 30, 30 years ago? And that got him into the, the whole Christian music business uh, that he was now currently in, and he, he brought a CD by of his songs, and we listened to him. It was really powerful. And I was like, that was 30 years ago, and this guy just happened to stop by the office, and he told me the whole story. He mm. recalled that story of 30 years ago as if it happened yesterday. All the mm. details of where he was, what the sun, the weather, the whole nine yards. It was it was amazing, really. Wow. Wow. Well, this has been wonderful. I I just want to uh, – I can't believe that time has already passed, but um, it's just been great to hear some of this and, and to get a get a sense that um, – that, that I think that's what's impressing me is that, you know, gee, it, I, I, someone taught me uh, about teachable moments. That was that was a that was a teaching of uh, my mentor always said. Yeah. The, the best the best teaching is done not when you show up for the seminar with your uh, notebook open and your pen ready. Uh, the 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 real teaching that happens is 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 while you go as you go, and it's it's through the teachable moments. Right. When, when we're really really getting it and really in need of it right? and correct. making the connections. And it just sounds like this program is just beautifully suited for that kind of learning. Well, I will, I will say, since you live about two and a half blocks from the ocean and you haven't seen it for a while, why don't we just get you on a course out here? <laughs> you were going to tell me where your favorite backpacking place was too. Oh, my favorite backpacking place is up. I go, you go up past Huntington Lake, Shaver Lake, and I think Edison Lake is the last one. Uh huh. And then then you go, then then there's a little four wheel drive uh, thing that yep. gets you into a place called Onion Springs Meadow. And yes. from there, you, are you kidding me? You know where Onion Springs Meadow? Of course, is? it's up by the, in the Kaiser Wilderness area. Oh my gosh! And then from there, you go up over the Saddle Ridge or something like that. And most of the people go down to the right towards the Margaret Lakes, which I'm sure you know about, yep. I would guess. Yep. But to, to the left is one little lake, and we actually found it. I was with a, a Mount Hermon group from, uh, okay. uh, uh, yeah, and that it was actually my very first backpacking experience was with that group. And wow. I, was, I was in college graduate. I was maybe 22, something like that. I'd never done this before. And uh, I just, I just, was ecstatic but you know it was in june and the the trail was covered a lot by uh snow and um we ended up going left instead of right and ended up in this little place called rock creek lake and it's not on the way to anywhere it's just it's just this little tiny lake all by itself yeah and that's been my favorite place. I've probably been there, I bet now, maybe a dozen times. And I've taken my oh, kids great. with me. Yeah, and, you know, I'm, I'm I'm a creature of habit, so that's probably not good from the standpoint of always pushing the envelope, you know. But <laughs> but to to have, to have a place, I know what it is, I know how to get in there, and I know what the experience is going to be every time. And and never, never, we always stay about four or five days, fish, just, you know, swim. Yep. Um, never see another human being. I never yeah. saw anybody the whole time. You know. Every yeah, it's year astounding how private you can be in some of these places in the Sierra. Yeah, yeah. So that's 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 my experience. And but I tell you, going up that, going, and that was hard. It was it was hard getting up there. Um, yeah. Because I think we go up about three thousand. We travel about three thousand feet the first day, and then drop down into the lakes. And yeah, uh, well. That's a classic and, and example on, of not much happens uh, sometimes without hard work. That's uh, that's worth yeah. doing things. Yeah, so it's it's great. And I've taught my kids a little bit of of, of that experience. So uh, I, I've got to do it one more time because I have a 15 year old who hasn't been there yet. And oh. uh, so uh, I, I'm I, I'm a little concerned about you know being able to make it at this point, but I think I can do it. So, well, maybe uh, maybe you should while you're up here, you should just come over and do a summit adventure fatherhood course. Then I, that might be a great idea. That might yeah, be great. We'll, we'll talk yeah. more after. Fantastic, fantastic, <laughs> Tom. Thank you so much. 
Uh, it was uh, a pleasure, John. I had, I had, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, your questions are excellent. You make it easy, and um, and I enjoyed myself tremendously. So I'm just grateful Great. for the opportunity. So thank you. Okay, thank you very much, Tom, and uh, we'll we'll be in touch for sure. Okay. All right. God bless. Okay. Thank you. You too. Bye bye. Okay. Bye now. Yes, and for anyone who's still listening, that's summitadventure.com. And, uh, gosh, I want to go check it out. And uh, I, this sounds, uh, you know, it's a life-changing experience. Wouldn't you think, Gunnar? Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and you know, as I'm listening to uh, the conversation tonight, I was kind of going through the uh, Instagram feed for Summit Adventure and some of the pictures and, and experiences mm. they have there. It's just, it's, it looks absolutely incredible. You know, check it out if you're wow. listening to if you're on Instagram, check out Summit Adventure. Um also Facebook. They're on Facebook as well. And check out some of the pictures and just kinda see what they're up to. You know, I just kinda it was kinda fun listening to Tom describe these things and then kinda seeing the visuals. And uh wow. yeah. Let's cool. go. Well we gotta get you to the beach first. <laughs> and then and, and what now what was the name of the place? It was Onion it was Onion Springs. Oh, what was that place Onion, called? It's called Onion Springs Meadow. Meadow. Wow, sounds incredible. Onion Springs Meadow. That's the first. That's that's about as far as you drive in. You can you get you know if you have a four wheel, you have to have a four wheel drive to get in there. But uh, the, uh, really, that's you know nice camping spot. You, you know, great creek right there for your water, and, and then oh, you yeah. head up up from Beautiful. there. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. No. Well, this that is was, great. That though. was a treat. That was a treat. Really listening to Tom and. Uh, Gosh, we touched on so many things. Ecuador, twenty thousand feet. <laughs> yeah, Come that's on. crazy. Well, and uh, yeah, yeah that's, know, that's crazy stuff. There, are you? Are you? Are you much for heights, John? I I I don't like heights. Yeah. Really, you know, but I mean, hiking up yeah. over over a mountain. Yeah, I I love that. Sure. I, I love yeah. the 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 experience of being the uh, yeah the the view you get. When you get high like that, yeah, and, and especially you're in a wilderness, and suddenly everywhere you look, there's just no sight of humanity. It's just yeah, beautiful God's <laughs> country everywhere thing. you look. It's <laughs> a good thing. It is a beautiful thing. <laughs> oh man, it's a refreshing thing. That's for sure. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Not, I mean, and then hearing the stories, just the impacts of you know of, of the father and daughter and and, uh, and 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 other stories like mm-hmm. that just you know the impact yeah. that's made in the holy spirit is it's uh when you kind of pull away from all of the technology and all the other stuff and you just kind of let things play out it's it's a it's a beautiful thing it is it is, it is and uh it's so great that the lord has led some people to to do this and to put a put a christian ministry around something like this because I think you can go so much deeper. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's fantastic. Well, absolutely. Well, it's been a good evening and uh, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to check into this some more for myself. Yeah. And what's 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 facing us? And what do we got? We got more stories from Gideon. Yeah, we got more be, stories uh, from Gideon. Uh, it's going to be fun. <laughs> It's, it's, I, I'm having it's, uh, a lot of fun with Gideon. Yeah. Well, it, it's your and, and again, if you're listening to the uh, to the show here, uh, John has uh, recently made his uh, debut as Gideon, and of course, Marty, her <laughs> debut, uh, Broadway debut of uh, the Angel of the Lord, and uh, so uh, go to the website, watch the video number one, and there's many more coming. Uh, you can go to catchjohnfisher.com and there you uh, go. and check and check that out. And so uh, we'll have another one uh, rolling out tomorrow morning, John. So we're looking forward to it. Any any, any hints? Any like uh, you know things you want to let out a little bit as far as what we can expect uh, tomorrow, or should we just tune in? Uh, <laughs> uh, I think yeah, yeah. Just be surprised. Yeah. You never know. Just be surprised what what we're going to come up with on this deal. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you just <laughs> never know when you might find. I'll just say this, John. You just never know when you might find yourself on the phone with God. Anyway, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. I'm not going to okay. let anything okay, else out. Okay, that's enough. 
enough. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, John, great show tonight. Good times. We'll catch up on the other okay. side, but uh, definitely check out uh, Summit Adventures and uh, on Facebook, their website, Instagram for sure. Check out the pictures and uh, join John tomorrow morning at catchjohnfisher.com for the catch and uh, installment number two of Gideon. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help their fellow man, hoping we can make it better. Great show tonight, John. See you in the morning. Great show. Great show.